you will, turn in your Bibles to the second chapter of 2 Corinthians as we continue our study through the Word. So you will remember, as Paul now is writing this second letter to the Corinthians, that he had sent that first letter off. And that first letter that we had finished up in the last time, we saw that there were some corrections in there. He was letting them know that they were spiritually immature, that they were carnal, that they were sectarian, that they were divisive, they were suing one another, they, they were acting and conducting themselves in a Appropriately at the Lord's table, they had um, sin that was not being dealt with, and and so Paul now, you know, instructs all of uh, all of these changes to be made. And the concern is how how are they going to receive that correction? And they didn't receive it well, and there was pushback, and so much so that Paul now, you know, leaves Ephesus and makes a a quick visit uh, over there, not part of his scheduled uh, trip itinerary that he had sent to them but uh, a severe visit to deal with the leadership issues that were going on he comes back and still things have not progressed to where he is content there is not resolution he writes a severe uh, letter to them and sends it now by way of Titus and so he is waiting now for Titus to return to see what the result is and where they are uh, at and so Paul heads up to uh, Macedonia and over from Troas and and it was uh, there now in Philippi where Titus comes comes up and meets them, and everything is good. The Corinthians have repented. The leadership has now, the troublemaker has been dealt with, and and they are ready to implement the changes that Paul has made. And and so Paul now is so relieved when he is writing this letter. Things are are good now. And so, you know, Paul begins this letter to them, and, you know, identifies himself and Timothy is with them and and he lets them know that you know blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our tribulations and he talked about you know tribulations in the way that God when we are in tribulation he is either going to comfort us so that we can go through the tribulation that we're in or he will deliver us uh, out of that and then when he comforts uh, us in our tribulation we are able then to comfort others when they are in their tribulations when they are going through their trials you have compassion and empathy upon those that are going through what you have gone through in your life and so there is an uh, an expansion of ministry that happens in a person's life when you have gone through some uh, some trials if your life was just perfectly blessed in a rose and garden then how would you be able to comfort those that are really going through it? They would say, well, you don't understand. Look at your life. Your, your life is perfect. And, and so there is that, that lack of empathy and compassion. But when you have really been through it yourself, you're able to reach back and comfort those that are in the midst of it. He says that we have gone through it. He says, you know, Paul personally is talking about how the trials that they were going through in Ephesus, he says that we got to the point, things were so bad in our life, we despaired even of life. 
And so I can tell you that I've never gone through a trial to that degree to where I felt like my life now is over and I am going to be killed or die or, you know, the, the end is imminent. But Paul got to that place uh, there. And, and so he didn't want them to be ignorant uh, of the trials and the sufferings that they have been going through. He says that, you know, we have made our plans. We have changed our plans. Remember, originally he was going to come over to Corinth, then head up to Macedonia and come back down again. But now they are heading over the top, going to go through Macedonia and just make one trip into Corinth. And, and Paul was you know, discussing the reason for his travel plans there, that he didn't do it lightly, that he takes everything before the Lord and, and allows the Lord to direct his steps. But he he said, in this situation, the reason that I didn't come to you is not because I'm manipulating you or punishing you or, or any fleshly you know, wisdom. The, the reason that I'm doing this is because I love you. Paul did not want to have another negative interaction, another trip into Corinth where, uh, where it was going to be like the last one that he had just uh, had. And so he felt that it was better to give them some time to repent, to get to that place where now they can be reconciled. And, uh, and so he, he gives it a breathing time, a cooling off period. And, and that's what Paul is, is talking about here as we begin this second chapter. Really, the second chapter is a continuation of the, uh, of the first chapter here, the last two verses uh, in first uh, in the first chapter of second corinthians says moreover i call god as witness against my soul that to spare you i came no more to corinth not that we have dominion over your faith but our fellow workers for your joy for by faith you stand but i determined this within myself that i would not come again to you in sorrow and so you know paul now is discussing the reason why he changed his his travel plans there was that uh, he was not going to come to them in another sorrowful uh, visit. He says, for if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? So, you know, Paul knows that another painful visit wouldn't be a, a good thing. And so he had, you know, come and, and his desire is to visit them when they can have fellowship and communion and they can get on with, uh, with the work of the ministry. He says in verse 3, For I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy uh, of you all. Paul's trips into the church that he had founded were, you know, times of fellowship and, and times of exhorting and encouraging one another, and they were enjoyable times. This was great joy to see people growing in their faith, to watch them getting strong in the things of the Lord and overcoming victories. Though Those are great joys for Paul, who had founded that, uh, that church there. He had spent 18 months there. He had spent a year and a half with them in new believers classes and building up the leadership and, and watching as the church grew and the influence that was taking place there in uh, Corinth. And, 
And so now he says, you know, that, that you are my joy, the joy that I have, and the joy, you know, of all of you. He says how hard it was now to have had to write that letter, you know, that he wrote. We do not have a copy of that letter, so we only can have the references that Paul here talks about, how painful it was for him to write that, the anguish that was uh, in his heart. And, and so and here, verse 4, for out of much affliction, an anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, uh, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Paul's saying, I'm not telling you this to make you feel bad, that, but I was crying when I was writing this letter. That, that's how much uh, it hurt me. That's, that's the kind of anguish uh, that uh, I was in uh, over that. And so you see the depth of the feelings that Paul has for the Corinthian church and for those believers there, how much he loves them. Jeremiah, in the Old Testament, is called the weeping prophet. But uh, Paul could be called the weeping apostle. And, and here we see just the tremendous love that Paul has for the, uh, for the church and for the people that, uh, that he ministered to. He says, but if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. So Paul is now starting to talk about the troublemaker, the ringleader that was kind of you know, rising up in this rebellion against Paul's authority. Paul was constantly in the church in Corinth dealing with this faction and led by this uh, individual. Now, the question here is, who is this person? We don't know. Many scholars believe that this ringleader that opposed Paul and Paul's authority may have been the very man that was involved in the, uh, in the relationship with his stepmother that, that Paul now was talking about not tolerating and that not only was he in sin, but he was an influencer and outspoken. And, and then when Paul made his visit to deal with this situation here, the, the question is whether or not Paul was insulted personally by this individual. So the, 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 the forgiveness, Paul is going to talk about forgiveness here. And what's not clear is whether or not Paul is talking about, you know, the trouble that this person caused to the church and, and, and that is the trouble or whether he is forgiving him for possibly the personal attacks against Paul uh, himself. And so we have this, you know, situation where this individual, Paul says, you know, he, he didn't really grieve me. So, you know, does that mean that, you know, when this person insulted Paul, Paul says, I didn't take it personally. <laughs> you know, I know where this person is coming from. And so he didn't, he didn't grieve me. Or is Paul talking about, you know, he's grieved the church by bringing his sin into the church and by causing up, you know, rising up in the turbulence and the, and the hardship. He hasn't, he hasn't grieved me. He's grieved you guys. He has grieved the church and, you know, and the hardship that, that you have been through. But we see here that Paul now uh, it, it gets the reward from Titus, and the word from Titus is that this person has repented now, that they have restored their relationship with the Lord. They are now uh, uh, willing to submit to Paul's authority as a as an apostle, and so. 
and all of these things, the church discipline that Paul had instructed them to carry out, they had carried out and it had its desired effect. Now that it's had its desired effect, Paul is saying that you can release the restrictions now. Don't be too severe. The purpose of consequences is always to turn the heart of behavior. Never is it for punishment. We, the consequences for a person's behavior is just to turn them around, just to change that behavior. So this person's behavior has changed. And so Paul now is giving the limitation of consequences. Don't be too severe. Do, do not inflict it. You know, I'm going to teach them a lesson. If they have repented, if their heart has turned, then, then restore them. He says this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man so that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. And so, when Paul is talking about, you know, the, they were soft on, uh, on the judging of the sin, but now they also erred on the possibility of being too hard, extending the, the consequences for too long a period of time. So forgive him and, and comfort him, lest perhaps he be swallowed up with too much sorrow. And so, you didn't want to break the spirit of the person, you didn't want to ruin the person, you just wanted them to conform to the truth of God's word. That's it. Just conform to the truth of God's word, which this person has. And so he says, therefore, I, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. And so in the body of Christ, there is the place of forgiveness. We are always seeking after restoration, reconciliation, a, a regathering back together in marriages and families and in situations and circumstances between brothers and sisters in the Lord. We always want to see that, that restoration happen, that unity. That is God's desire, is unity. And so here we see that, you know, the Paul's desire is for this there to be a complete healing and a oneness uh, now reaffirm your love reaffirm your love and so this beautiful you know place of uh, of restoration since this individual responded to the correction and repented it was time for love and healing to take place now sometimes when we're offended by somebody and we've been hurt or wounded and they now have repented of their action. They said they were sorry, they didn't mean it, and, and they now have repented and asked the Lord to forgive them. There can sometimes be that tendency on, uh, on our side to, to keep them at arm's distance. Well, you know, you, you'll have to prove yourself to me, you know, over time. And, and we're going to continue to, to inflict consequences upon them even after they have repented. And so we need to be careful not to, that's our flesh wanting to protect ourselves in the, in the future and, and wanting to, you know, extract, you know, even more discipline, you know, on them than is necessary. And so we want to be we want to be gracious in that area. Is there anyone in your life today that this may be true for as well? Is there any relationship that is at arm's distance that they have repented already, but they're still being distanced uh, by uh, our hearts? And, and so today would be a, a good day to allow the Holy Spirit to just minister His truth to, to us. 
He says, for to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. So part of the purpose for writing and taking such severe measures was to see if, if they were going to submit to Paul's leadership. And so he, he gave them a hard task to see, I know you'll do the easy tasks. Will you do the hard task now when I ask you to? And so Paul here says that, that in their response to his direction, he was going to be able to see their, their heart. He says, now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. And so here is Paul talking about, you know, he's, if you've forgiven him in the body, you don't need to worry about me. I, if you've forgiven him, I've, I've forgiven him. And so that could possibly be what Paul is saying here. But uh, on the other side, it, it is, you know, if there was a direct, you know, attack against Paul himself, and, and Paul now is speaking that, you know, that I, I have forgiven that one for, you know, your sakes in the presence of Christ. He, you know, he insulted me, but I'm your apostle. And so, you know, and so here is where. Now, if Paul is speaking as the authority on the authority of an apostle, you know, that the, he sinned against the, you know, the church and the, and the church forgave him. And now Paul, you know, is forgiving him. The individuals have forgiven him. But now Paul, you know, is forgiving him with, you know, apostolic authority. It, it, it is interesting because, uh, you know, Jesus had said to the apostles that in John's gospel, chapter 20, if you forgive the sins of any, then they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And so, you know, what does that mean? Did the apostles have the ability to forgive sins? And we know that only God can forgive sins. You remember when, uh, when, when the palsied man was uh, lowered down into the presence of Jesus and Jesus said to him, your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisees, that just set them off because they are, no one can forgive sin except you know, God. Well, here, when, when Jesus Christ is going to depart, and he now says to the apostles that they have the ability to forgive sin, what he was speaking of is, is that they can confer the truth of God's word in that situation. In other words, you know, the Bible tells us that if we will confess our sins and if we will repent, that our sins are forgiven us. And so uh, as an apostle, if someone uh, feels bad as an authority, as a representative of, uh, of Christ, so the apostles were the early representatives of Christ, the church and, and the leadership of church is the representative uh, here today. So, you know, if someone comes in and they have sinned and now they repent and they confess their sin and they ask, you know, God to forgive them, I can say to them that your sins are forgiven. And I am basing that not upon my ability to forgive sin, but based upon the authority of the word of God. If you do this, then God is going to do that. You've done that. I can tell you that your sins are forgiven you. Now, if a person will not repent of their sin and they are going to continue in their sin, then, uh, then I will say to them, your sins are not forgiven you. And, and this, again, based not upon my authority, but upon the authority of the word of God. And so Jesus now in his departure was saying, 
saying to them, you are able to declare to them, if they're obedient to the word, that the word is true. And so Paul here is kind of standing in that, uh, in that stance uh, here when he says that I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of, uh, of Christ. And so uh, here we see that, uh, that now, you know, the, the issue is the, the rejoining together. And, and in verse 11, he says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And, and back to that, the punishment being too severe. You know, the enemy now wants to destroy this person, and we want to walk together in unity. We don't want to fall into the traps of the enemy and not allow the enemy to take advantage uh, of us. And uh, and so we're not ignorant, he says, for we're not ignorant of his devices. We know the playbook of the enemy. And so it, it's important to, for us to recognize what, what are the tactics of the enemy? What are the, the tactics that we need to be aware of? Well, first of all, Satan operates in deception. We see that he is the master deceiver. And so uh, here we need to be careful. You know, uh, we need to test everything against the scriptures so that we now have the sure word because Satan seeks to twist and to turn. He tries to bring heretical doctrines into the church and false teachings. And he encourages people, you know, to, to question their faith. And so deception is one of the areas that we need to always be on guard with. Secondly, I would say temptation. We see that Satan is known as the tempter. Satan was willing to tempt Jesus Christ himself after 40 days of fasting in the wilderness with his father. He has the boldness to come and to tempt Jesus himself. And so he will tempt you and he will tempt me as well. And so what areas are you prone to temptation? And he knows those areas. And so he will put bait out for you in those areas to try and tempt you. Remember what Satan's purpose is. Satan knows, listen, you will never love him. He knows that he can never have your heart. And so what he wants to do is he wants to destroy your love for God. And so, so he wants to separate you, drift you, distance you, break you up. He's like the, you know, the jealous girlfriend that now, you know, wants her, uh, her boyfriend back that she can never have. And she will do whatever she can to just ruin their relationship. She knows that she can't have him. But, you know, if I can't have him, nobody's going to have him. You know, that, that's kind of the, you know, the heart of Satan. He's just trying to ruin your relationship and play the spoiler, you know, with your relationship and your love uh, with God. And so, you know, he will come in and, and he will bring temptation. He will bring accusation. He's the accuser of the brethren. He wants you to feel bad about yourself. Every single time you feel bad about yourself, he's cheering. He's cheering. Every single time you look in the mirror and you don't like something about yourself, he's laughing. He's cheering. He enjoys that. Any single time you think that you're less than and not worthy, he loves that. I mean, he, that, that is his, <laughs> that's his delight. He's having a good day if he can get you to focus on those things uh, in uh, your life. And, and Paul says, whatever is true, lovely, 
noble, of good report. Meditate on these things. Fix your eyes. Train your mind to not receive the, the attacks of the enemy, the helmet of salvation, your thought life, because we have the, uh, the accuser. His, his primary weapon is division. He wants to break up every healthy relationship in your life. So know that. Look around your life at the healthy relationships, marriage, family, friends, business partners, associates, brothers and sisters in the Lord, your extended family, extended friends. Every single healthy relationship that you have, he wants to divide it. He wants to create seeds of doubt, and uh, he wants jealousies and petty envies to uh, enter into it. What do they mean by that? The, you know, and, and all of these types of, uh, of things. And so you have to be aware that God wants thick, healthy, beautiful relationships. That's, that's what he created you for. And Satan is trying to destroy and pick at and pull apart every single thing that God is seeking to build up in your life. And so you, you you have to be aware of it. You have to be cognizant that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the forces that are behind what is seen is the unseen, and the unseen is as real as the seen. Amen? And so we need to be aware of that and not just be walking around dealing with uh, what is seen. And so, you know, he says that we are not going to, you know, be ignorant of, of his devices. And so being aware that Satan is strategizing against you right now is an important awareness for us to walk in. Furthermore, he says, when I came to Proaz to to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. So Paul, instead of going straight to Corinth, he heads up. He's going to go through uh, Macedonia, and Troas now is the port city before you head over from Asia over to Macedonia. So when he went to Troas, he was waiting for Titus to meet him. Titus was going to head back and give the report of, uh, of how everything is going uh, with that severe letter that he uh, wrote. Now he's waiting for, for him in Troas. But when he gets to Troas and he's waiting for Titus, then <laughs> the opportunity opened up for him to be preaching the gospel. So he started preaching the gospel there in Troas. He said, but in verse 13, I had no rest in my spirit. I, I was preaching, but I was heavy hearted. Every day I'm looking to see if, if Titus is coming. Is Titus coming? And, and that was really burdening his heart because I did not find Titus my brother. But uh, taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. He had preached the great opportunity there in Troas, but he, his love for the Corinthian church just compelled him now to, to move on. So he got into the boat and he sailed across uh, over to uh, Macedonia now, uh, and that is where we are going to see ultimately there in Philippi is where Titus and him are going to, uh, to reconnect. Now, it's interesting because here we have, you know, Paul leaving Troas. He's going to sail over and he's going to end up in Philippi, and Titus is going to meet him in, in Philippi. And here in this second chapter, we have Paul saying that he departs for Macedonia. And then Paul's going to go on this digression. Uh, 
And, and this digression is going to last for five chapters. It was not until chapter seven that he's going to now pick up his thread where he lands in Macedonia, and, and that continues. And this is called, you know, scholars call this the great digression, you know, in 2 Corinthians. But what Paul is going to deal with now is he's going to, to settle. It's like he, he says to himself, I'm going to settle my apostolic authority issue once and for all i I, i'm gonna deal with this it's like you know he's tired of (laughs) you know of dealing with this issue with the corinthians and and so now he's going to end up in kind of this this lengthy you know defense uh, of his ministry of his life and you know and of his apostolic authority and so he kind of pauses on you know his his travel plans and what what he's been doing you know with the corinthians and now we're going to see him kind of launch it into this you know the, the this digression it begins here in this 14th verse and and now just a completely different gear he goes into he says now thanks be to god who always leads us in triumph in christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge and in, in every place and and so the you know paul's talking about when he says that christ leads us in triumph he's talking about a roman triumph a roman triumph is the is the celebration victory parade like when your hockey team wins the stanley cup you know this this giant parade that a city might uh, might throw and uh, and so the the general would be in a chariot and the uh, the captives would be you know paraded in front and they're going to be uh, executed the troops are behind his family and friends the 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 victory parade includes the the treasures that they have won in their successful campaign in their battle and so it is this incredible you know triumphal parade that is giving and so paul is seeing us as christians now that that jesus christ is that conquering general and every single one of his enemies are going to be captive and and we are a part of that conquering army with him that is going to march and one day christ is going to have dominion over the entire world over the entire uh, earth and so you know paul here using that imagery says that christ always is leading us you know in this in this triumphal uh, parade and and so this is the the model that is before us he says for we are to god the fragrance of christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing the the priests in a uh, in a in a Roman triumph, they would have their censers out and they would be uh, leading out in front. And so you would have the aroma, you know, of the censers. And, and so here, you know, Paul is saying is, is that we are that aroma here upon this earth. As a Christian, you have the aroma of Christianity upon you. And so that that wherever you go, you know, that your witness, your testimony, your light, that's the aroma of Christ. He says, and, and for we are to God, the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are, <clears throat> are perishing. Your Christianity, the fragrance of Christ upon you is evidence when you're with believers and also when you are with non-believers. It's not something that you turn on and turn off. It's something that is, you know, that is your fragrance. As a, as a Christian, he says, 
to the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. So to the unsaved, we, we are the killjoys, you know. They're telling their dirty jokes and all, and you walk up and suddenly it ends, you know. It stops there. Oh, here he is again, you know. I'm not, I'm not coming, you know. They're talking about their parties and everything. You walk up and say, oh, okay, we changed the subject now. It's like, you know, and so to them, you, you're the aroma, you're that Christian fragrance that, you know, that stops them from, you know, participating and, and talking about the things. But uh, to the other believers, your breath of fresh air to exhort and to encourage others in, in their faith. And, and he says, in this, uh, this aroma, who's sufficient for these things? Who's sufficient to be the aroma you know, of Christ? He says, for uh, we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God. We speak in the sight of God in Christ and and so Paul is going to answer that who is sufficient for these things. It's the rhetorical here, but he will come back to that in a minute. But he now defends the, the, the ministry when he says that, you know, our ministry isn't one in which we peddle the word of God to where we now hawk it as wares and, and we merchandise it. There are those that do that today. There are churches that take and, and market the, uh, the Word of God. They make a trade out of the Word of God. They use telemarketing to, techniques to raise money. They use letters. They use emergencies. The, the, the ministry is, is failing. We need your emergency donation now. Or they sell you these little pieces of prayer cloth that your prayers will be answered if you let us send you one of these for a donation. And, and all of these types of things. Paul, Paul says we never did that. We see the ministry model here is, you know, we have the Word of God. We use the Word of God. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. We don't distort it or make merchandise of it, he says, but we give it out in sincerity as the Spirit of God leads us and reveals its truth to us. And and so here, Paul giving us the, the plan for church ministry is that the word of God is to be exalted and given out in, in sincerity and in truth. As we close our study here, I want to draw our attention for a minute back to where you know, Paul says in verse 12, and furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach, he says, Christ's gospel. And so it was, you know, Christ's gospel is what he, he is talking about. And, and so, uh, what is that? What is that gospel? The, the gospel. Gospel just means good news. And so Christ's gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ brought. And what is the good news? What is the good news that is from Christ? And the good news from Christ is that your sins can be forgiven you and now you can enter into the kingdom of God for the kingdom of God is at hand. And now people are able to enter into this kingdom. This is a kingdom where you now can be joined together eternally with your father, with the God, the creator God of the universe. And that every single person is separated from God by their sin. 
And so God was at a distance. But now, through Christ, we can have that relationship and we can come into his presence. We see here that this was the incredible news that, that now, Paul wanted to tell the entire world that, you see, the world was waiting for the Messiah. The Jews were waiting for the Messiah, the Savior of the world. This was the, the promise all the way back in Genesis that there is going to come a Savior who is going to rescue us from our sin. And here we see that, you know, Paul wanted to tell the whole world, you know the promised Savior? He's come, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he is the Messiah, and he will take your sins away, and this is the promise of eternity eternal life. Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so the only way of salvation is through Jesus Christ. And, and so we see that, that there are those people that, that are just in a free fall toward destruction. You see, when you sin, that's rebellion. God is the one who has established the, the law, the moral law of the world. And when you sin and when I sin, we broke that law. And, and so we are now in this place of lawbreaker and we are in a place of rebellion against God. And so we will stand before God and answer for our breaking of the law, each and every one of us. There is the great white throne where we will have to give an account for all of the law of God that we broke. And then there are the consequences that every single person who has broken the law and is found guilty, you will now be punished. And so that is the great white throne. It is right. It is just. We have broken the law. There is none that, that is righteous and has not broken God's uh, moral law. And so there is a consequence to that. And that consequence is eternal separation from God. God says, you broke my law. You are in rebellion against my kingdom. And thus you will be separated from me and you will not be allowed to enter into the kingdom. Or you have a choice. Or you can allow my son to pay the price for your sin. And you can allow him to wash your soul and to pay the penalty. The price for your sin will still be paid. But he's willing to step up and pay it for you. If you will ask him to. And that's, that is the incredible gift of salvation. And there are some people who just don't believe in hell. They just don't believe. They believe that God is a loving God and that everybody goes to heaven. But God is a righteous God. And he has declared this is the law and lawbreakers need to be punished. And if God didn't punish lawbreakers, then he's not a righteous God but he's a merciful God. And so how can righteousness exist, but mercy exist at the same time? And so the mercy was that Jesus Christ said, Dad, I will go and pay the penalty for their sin. And the minute that you recognize that, you suddenly realize the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God.
and you recognize that Jesus said that I came to pay the penalty for you. I went to the cross for you. I laid down my life. My body was whipped and beaten and crucified for you. And there is that recognition that that I can now have this debt forgiven me. And Jesus said, there is no other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way. You can't be good enough. You can't get there on your own. There's not a back door. There's not a side door. There's a front door. And Jesus Christ is the door. And that door is open to you. But you have to invite him in to wash you of your sin. He won't do it without your invitation. He won't do it without your recognition that you're helpless and that you are a sinner. And until you get to that place, you're stuck in your sin. You're dead in your sin, the Bible says. You're dead in your trespasses. Until you recognize that, that you have offended God with your actions. But he's willing to forgive you of that. And so, that is Christ's gospel. That is the good news that Paul wanted every single person to to know. And today, as you're sitting here listening to the very words that I'm sharing with you, you have either already been washed in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and you are saying yes and amen. (laughs) And you are remembering that moment when you came to that recognition, to, to when you recognized that you needed forgiveness of sin, that you had offended God with your sin and that that was a problem, but that God gave you the solution. Or you're sitting here hearing these things saying, I've never done that. I've never done that. I've never done that. And the Holy Spirit is saying, you haven't done it, but you need to do it. You need to do it. And today is the day of of salvation. I want you to know that there are untold number of people in hell that knew that they needed to do it, that they hadn't done it yet. And then they never did it. And for all eternity, they'll be tormented by the, why didn't I do it? Why didn't I do it? I understood it. I was there. I, 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 the, the message was clear. My heart burned, but I, I just deferred it. I just decided to do it at another time, and that another time never came. This morning is your time don't let it pass. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, I want you to simply stand up and come to the front right now and I'll lead you in that prayer. As we worship, stand up and come now and make now your now. Father God, we thank you that we can come as we are, each and every one of us that has received Christ, has come with their sin. Jesus, you have washed us and cleansed us. And how can we begin to say thank you for your willingness to pay a debt that we owed, but that we had no way of ever paying? And so, Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank you, Lord. We give you praise and honor. All glory goes to you. And so, Jesus, thank you for being my Savior, our Savior, our Lord, our King. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.